to the KC City Church Audio Podcast. We pray you enjoy this following sermon. Thank you so much. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Wow, what, a, what an honor to be here with the saints in this beautiful place and in this beautiful, beautiful country. We are so blessed. I don't know if you're familiar with the U.S., but I'm from Nashville, Tennessee, beautiful place, lots of good music and good food, but I haven't had a bad meal here, and I'm, I, I, I love this country, and I love this area. I've been spending my time with Gary and Sarah Morgan over the week, and they send their love, and uh, I have a good word for you this morning, and I feel God wants to speak to you and to, and to touch your heart. He wants to impart to you something new, something that maybe you've You've not been aware of, but he wants to give you something special, an impartation of the supernatural. And I want to—I believe God wants to bring that today. As Paul the Apostle wrote to the Corinthian church, that you would be lacking in no gift. Amen. Say, I'll be lacking in no gift. God doesn't want you to lack in any gift. Amen. He wants you to prosper in every gift. He wants you to be abundant in every gift. And then his, his gift is a sign of the generosity of God. And when God moves through you in your gift, he moves in a generous way. That is one of the things that I found that is really a characteristic of the gifts of God, that the gifts of God are primarily generous in nature. Their generosity is the exact representation of gifting because no one gives a stingy gift. Have you ever gotten a stingy gift? Has anybody ever gotten a stingy gift? I remember one time someone gave me toilet paper. They were really excited about this toilet paper. They said it's the best toilet paper that you could get. And it was blue. I don't know why it was blue, but it had a blue color to it. And apparently blue is better. I don't know why. But it was a blue toilet paper. And I thought, oh my goodness. This is, I, I want to bless this person. I want to be grateful. I don't want to be ungrateful, but who gives toilet paper as a gift? And, you know, what, sometimes we think that God, when he blesses us, this is what he does. He gives us the necessities. And then when we bless God in return, because our picture of God is that God has necessities. He has need. We give based upon what we think is his need. How many know that God doesn't have need? Come on, I need a little bit more response here. Maybe you're a little more refined here in Melbourne. But how many know that God doesn't have need? That might be a revelation to you, but God does not have a need. God has desire. God doesn't have need. He doesn't need us to do anything. God could do it all himself. God could sneeze and everything would be done. God doesn't have a need, but he does have desire. And in fact, desire, the word desired, as it says, delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. The word desire, desire, means of the Father. 
that your desire is born of God. It's actually born of Yahweh. The Father has put this nature inside of you, this instinct inside of you. He has put it, he's placed it in you before time began. He predestined you to have this in you, and this desire is awakening in you. But the problem is that many of us were so out of touch with our desire, and all we're living according to is our need. We're in touch with our need, we're desperate. But how many of you know that Adam and Eve didn't live according to need? They lived according to the Father's desire. And so he's, he's reawakening this desire in us, not because he doesn't want to bless us or take care of our needs, but he wants us to live beyond needs and according to the desires of our heart. And what does he tell Solomon when he steps into his kingship? He says, what do you want? Now, if God came to you and asked you that question, would you be able to articulate him? Would you be able to speak it out, what it is that you want? Or would you be like Jacob, where the Lord touches him, and Jacob responds, God, if you just give me clothes and food, then I'll follow you. He says, God, if you just give me my needs, then I'll follow you. Sometimes... God is saying to you, what do you want? He's not asking you, what do you need? He's saying, what do you want? And that's where I want to meet you. Because God is not the God of needs. He's the God of desire. But what gets in the way of desire? I want to talk to you about this because perhaps some of us are not living in the promised land. If we could talk about the promised land, the promised land, another language or another word for the promised land is the desired land, the good and desired land, that God wants to give you a land that is desirable. He wants to give you an abundance that is desirable. He doesn't want to give you the trash heap. He wants to give you the place that everybody would want it, the scripture call it beautiful land. The land that is flowing with milk and honey. And he wants to get you in touch with your desire. But some of us, we only live according to the size of our budget. But God wants your desire to surpass your budget. Now, it doesn't mean you don't have a budget. You have a budget. I've got a budget. Look, some days I've got to split that burrito. But if prophecy has taught me anything, it's that God does not talk to you according to your budget. As a prophetic minister, I have learned that God is not concerned about the size of your budget. God does not talk to you about your, the, based upon the size of your budget. He definitely doesn't talk to you based upon your level of skill. And he, and he for sure does not talk to you based upon your level of college education. God, it seems, talks to us way beyond our skill set, way beyond our budget, and way outside of our education. He's got things to say and share with us that do not match those things. And perhaps we become calibrated to those things and not calibrated to the way he's speaking to us. 
We've calibrated our life to fit within the categories of our budget, the categories of our skill set, and the, and the framework of our education. But when the prophecy comes and God is speaking to you, he, he's offering you a chance to recalibrate according to what it is that he believes about your life. Come on, are you hearing me? He's sharing with you an opportunity to get into the vibration and the frequency of his promise. That when you start living not according to what you know, but according to what you hear, you are recalibrating based upon the size of his promise, not the size of your problem. See, we're living often out of the measure of our problem, not the measure of our promise. The measure of your problem will get you living with your head down. You're looking at your need. You're not keeping your head up. But what does he say? Lift up your head, O you gates. Be lifted up, you everlasting doors. Open up that the king of glory may come in. So what do you have to do? You have to get your head out of the sand. You got to get your head out of your need. You got to get your head out of this place that you're the funk that you're in and step into the desire. He wants to tap into the desires of your heart. And I want to give, I want to propose something to you this morning that is, I believe, going to revolutionize the way that you do life. It's going to change you as a prophetic voice, as someone who, who stands in the gap and ministers the word of the Lord. I have a word for you, and I believe this word is going to unlock a realm of abundant blessing for you is going to deposit in you something of a framework that is going to change the way that you do things, and you're no longer going to live out of one, one dimension or one way of thinking. God wants to upgrade you. How many like the upgrade? Man, I love it when it's time to upgrade. When I, you, know, you know what happened recently? I took my daughter to the Apple store. She's 10. She said, Daddy, I want a, I want a phone. I said, why do you want a phone? She's 10. I'm looking, as there boys in her life, right? I don't want any boys in her life. I'm, I'm the only man in her life, right? Amen? Outside of Jesus, okay? I, I, I tell her, uh, you know, I'm, I'm your daddy, but God's your father. You know, and, 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 and so I'm, 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 I'm little D, he's big. You know, and so I, I, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the smaller version of the father in her life, okay? And so I'm always teaching her about the father, but there we're the only two in her life that she should be concerned about. But I, I, look, at, I look at her, and I, and, I, and I go, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take my phone, and I'm going to upgrade it, and I'm going to give it to you. And then she had an old leftover phone. She had an old leftover phone, and this leftover phone was from years past, a phone that I had in years past, and it was like several generations past, and she was using it just to get on the Wi-Fi and, and take pictures of herself and all that stuff. So she goes, we go to the store, the Apple store, and she gets the brand new phone. She, got, she has a, a brand new, the upgraded version. She's got a better phone than I had before when I upgraded, and she hands me her phone. Now, you have to understand, I went from the newest iPhone to an iPhone 6. <laughs> and I, so I get this thing in my hands, and, and, I, and, and it's like no, none of the features that I was currently you know, excited about or working with, right? And it's like all of a sudden, I go back into prehistoric use, <laughs> right? 
I don't even know. I don't even understand it. I'm like, what is this? It's asking me for a passcode. You know, I can't, I don't even understand how to use this. You know, some of us are, are relating to God in that way. We're using last year's technology and God wants to upgrade you. He wants you to go beyond where you're at right now. What he spoke to you in the past was good, but what he's offering to you now is an upgrade. Come on, how many, how many love an upgrade? I love an upgrade. And I, listen, I, I, am, I am not, I'm not a I'm not afraid to get in the dirt this is not, and get my hands dirty. This is not a, a prosperity gospel message. This is a, a, a father loves you message, and he's equipped you for every good work. And so I'm not afraid to get my hands in the dirt. I'm not afraid to do things that is necessary. I'm a hard worker. My father put that in me. I believe in hard work. I'm, I'm, I have an, a, a, a very strong work ethic. I don't believe that I just sit, sit on the couch, eat potato chips, and God blesses me. I'm going to talk to you about something different than that. Because I believe there's a prophetic declaration over this house that God wants to release. And it's about something different. It's another level. It's a different type of warfare that he's giving to us in this season. And it's a warfare not to survive, but to thrive. It's called the good fight for a reason. He says, fight the good fight of faith. What is this good fight? Why are fights called good in the scripture. He says, fight the good. There's some fights that are just drama, but the fight that he's called us to is the good fight. That means there should be joy in the battle. This is, I like, I like that song. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. How do you fight your battles? With the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And so here's, here's what I want to talk to you about it. The there's something coming, and it's out of Micah chapter 4, 3 and 4. I want you to go to Micah, if you've ever read Micah. Micah, it's in the Bible. Micah chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. You know, there's a day coming. It says in Amos 9.13, you don't have to go there. I want you to go to Micah chapter 4. But Amos 9.13, behold, the days are coming says the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper, the treader of grapes, him who sows seed. And when are these days coming? They're coming when the mountains shall drip with sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. This is the day we're in. The mountains are going to drip with sweet wine. The hills are going to flow with it. This is a wine country. You're a wine nation. That doesn't mean you're a wino, but it means that you live in a place where the treader of grapes overtakes him who sows seed. You're in a place. And it says this, that the hills shall flow with it. Now, I was, uh, the Lord visits me just about every year around August 24th. It's something that he, he, did, he started in me years ago. And it's something that he came to me in a vision, came to me in a, in, a, in a dream in the night, and he said to me, this was years and years and years ago, but he said to me, I want to come to you, and I'm going to come to you at the time of two-thirds and in the month of August. And I thought, what is he talking about? Like, you know, God is very parabolic in nature. He doesn't speak to us in plain English. 
God speaks to us in riddles, parables, enigmas. And the reason why is because He wants to set us on a journey of discovery. He's trying to bring us into a greater understanding of His, his realm. And it's this journey. It says in Proverbs 25, 2, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's the glory of kings to search a matter out. And when we search the matter out, something happens in us. We become more kingly in our nature. We step into the kingdom and we start to enter into a dimension of our authority as kings and priests. And so he hides things in riddles and parables and enigmas. And he says to me, I'm going to come to you at the time of two-thirds, and I'm coming to you in the month of August. And so I'm sitting there trying to figure out what does this mean. But as years went past, I started realizing that the Lord started visiting me in the month of August and, and right around the 23rd and the 24th. It was something that he, he set into motion, and he set as a precedent. Does anybody have times and seasons in God that you go, man, this is the time when God does this for me. This is the time when I feel this breakthrough or I experience this breakthrough. I recognize this. God is into times and seasons. And the times and seasons are, are you know, times are linear. Seasons are circular. That's why you might come to the same mountain twice, but you come the second time with a different perspective. It doesn't mean you're back stuck Doing the same thing over and over is just God will bring you to places three and four times because he's giving you different perspectives of the problem that you once had. Now it's now a promise. It once seemed like a, a mountain, but now it is, your, it, it is your building block. You know, God brings you to the same place twice, three, four times because he's trying to give you a, a different perspective. That's what the prophetic does. It gives you a different perspective over the same thing. You know, in one in the book of Revelation, when the when John the Revelator looked, he saw the the Babylon, the Babylonian city, but when he was lifted up and looking at the same situation, he now saw the New Jerusalem. He was seeing things from a different perspective, but still looking at the same picture. And God wants you to look at your problem, not as a problem, but as a promise. And it's a promise wrapped inside of a riddle. That riddle is a problem. That's the thing that you're facing. And you go, whoa, how can this be a promise? Well, I want to talk to you about that. But this, this situation in the month of August at the time of two-thirds, I remember I was in California, and some friends of mine, we were doing some meetings, around August, and it was around August 20, 22nd, 23rd, 24th, we were doing these meetings. And so the night before one of the services, it was the, it was the last Sunday, it was a Sunday morning, and we were, we were, I was going to bed that Saturday night, and I knew the Lord was going to do something. I just had this impression the Lord was going to do something. Well, He woke me up at 3.18 in the morning. Three, now, that might not mean anything to you, but 320 is a number that God seems to speak to me over and over. It starts off with the number 32. My son was born on March 2nd, 3-2. You know, it just, every, when I'm traveling, I end up at hotel number 32. Or, you know, it's just a thing. Does anybody have a number that seems to be a theme in their life? Now, this doesn't mean you're superstitious. And let me just impress this upon you is that God is into numbers. He's even got a book called Numbers.
He's into numbers. That is why he often will mention a day, and he'll make note of that day. It was on the 10th day of the first month, or the third day I will raise you up. You know, he, he begins to make mention according to these numbers, because these numbers actually have matching alphabetical uh, order in the, in, in the Hebrew alphabet. They actually mean something. They're not just, God's not just saying, I, I want you to know the time. He's trying to tell you, I've got something for you. Recognize the time and the season that you're in. And so when you see 1111 or 222 or any of these numbers, it's God actually trying to get your attention and it's his code. Has anybody seen the movie Bumblebee? It's a great movie. It's a kid's movie, but it's a great movie. And in a way, it gave me a revelation of how God speaks to us because Bumblebee had his voice stripped from him. So he had to use different songs from the radio to speak to the people that he was speaking, right? And this is how God speaks to us. He doesn't come to us with, his, with the way he actually originally spoke. Because how many know that God's first language is not English? God, he had to learn English like us. It wasn't something that he originally spoke. He spoke and light came out of his voice. Light was his original language. But he, he, he speaks to us in different ways. Sometimes maybe it's a little song on the radio. And like Bumblebee, he's trying to convey a message to us. Do we recognize? You know, I remember years ago where I, was walk, I would walk into a place and then a song would come on. It would, it would be like, calling all you angels, you know, and, and then I'd get in the car and it'd be another song, you're my angel. You know, I was like, what the? It was like five, six songs in a row all about angels. And I'm going, God, what are you saying? Well, duh, he's trying to give angels a voice in my life. He's sending messengers our way. And so for me, different numbers, different ways that God speaks, He's sowing riddles into our day that if we see the sign, we can seize it. And so what does he do? He wakes me up at 318. Now, 320 is, is a number that I'm used to God speaking. So I know 318, I'm, wait, I'm, I'm awake at 318, 320, something is about to happen. And this is the time, August 24th, this is the time then that God speaks to me something at that, at that time of year. And so I'm in California at a hotel on the second floor, and I, and I begin to pray. And I don't know why I'm praying this, but I begin to pray. Have you ever had a prayer come out of you that you don't even know why you're praying that? You're, you're like, Lord, just bless them. Bless, who am I blessing? Bless them, Lord. Just bless them, God. Who, who am I talking about, God? So all of a sudden, this prayer comes out of me, and I'm, I'm in this place of intercession, and I have this Prayer come out of me, and this is the prayer. Lord, rebuke the enemy. Then I'm like, whoa, where'd that come from? Lord, rebuke them. Rebuke the enemy. And I'm like, what the heck is going? Why is this coming? But I feel an anointing. There's something of a confidence and a boldness on me as I'm praying this prayer. As I'm speaking this prayer, Lord, rebuke the enemy. 319 rolls around. Rebuke the enemy, God. I thank you that you're pushing back the enemy. You're pushing him back. Rebuke the enemy. And as the clock turned from 319 to 320, all of a sudden the door of the hotel room that I'm in starts to shake. And as it's shaking, I think I, literally there's a robber trying to get in my room. And I'm like, rebuke the enemy, God. 
I'm putting my hand out towards the, I'm like, rebuke the enemy, Lord. And as it begins to shake, all of a sudden the room starts shaking. And I'm like, wow, rebuke the enemy. And I'm praying this prayer, rebuke him, rebuke the enemy, Lord. The room, the bed starts shaking. And my, 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 my intern at the time, who was staying with me, we were on mission, and he's staying with me, and he wakes up, and he goes, what are you doing? And I said, we're up rebuking the enemy. He goes, we're in an earthquake. <laughs> and I'm like, what? And, and all of a sudden, the whole building's like shaking violently, and, and the car alarms are going off, and, and fire alarms are going off. All these different alarms are going off, and people's lights are, are, are turning on, and people are running outside. You hear all the noise and the commotion as this thing happens at 3.20 in the morning, and, it, and it's the largest earthquake in California in 20 years. It was a 6.0. I think they recently had one just a little bit larger, but it was, it, it was a 6.0 the first time in 20 years, more than 6.0 hit the, hit the Richter scale. And, 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 and something broke open and I ran outside. Now he's sitting there trying to calm my nerves, this intern, because he was from California. And he says, it's okay. It's just a, it's just an earthquake. It's okay. It's okay. Come to find out the next morning, this is the only earthquake he's ever been in. And so I'm sitting there going, what the, what is he, you know, and so he go, I go, wow, man, you were so calm last night. You act like, like, how many of these have you been in before? He says, this is the only one. I was like, oh, okay. So, so I'm going, Lord, what is the devastation that took place? What is the devastation? What harm took place? Now, another city might have experienced harm, but California has great infrastructure. They're prepared for these type of things. And so instead of people dying and, and, and buildings being devastated, something happened. It was very, it was, it was prophetic in nature. And if you pay attention to these signs, these signs are there to make you wonder. But something prophetic happened, and, and I, I, I started watching the news, and they said, this year's wine, because of, because of the earthquake, the wine in the barrels busted open and began to to pour out. Not only were they pouring out in the wineries, but they had poured out so that the city streets were running with new wine. Literally the mountains, the hills were dripping sweet wine. New wine running through these places. And I'm saying, God, I see the sign. There's a fresh wine being poured out and it's going to run through the city streets. So there's something breaking open in this time. And I feel we are in a time when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes him who sows seed. We need to be prepared for such a time as this to do things differently because it now is a harvest and God is changing up the times and seasons when the plowman overtakes the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows seeds. That means that the harvest is so great that it actually extends all the way to the next season of, of sowing. That the sowing is, 
while it's initiating, the plowman, the, the reaper is literally still reaping the harvest from the previous season. And, and, and the treader of grapes is still having to deal with the abundance of grapes that came from the last season. And while they're about to enter into the new and they're about to set up the, the order, they're, they're about to plant, you're still harvesting from what it is that God did last year. God wants you to harvest. Listen, I'm speaking to somebody today, and I believe we've been really good at sowing, but now is the time to learn how to harvest. We've been very good at giving. We've been very good at, but here's the thing. If the wisdom of God doesn't affect you in your giving to take you to a place of harvest, you're sowing to the wind. And there's something that God wants to do in you. He wants to put in you a spirit of harvest. There are some in here where you have harvest that you've been waiting on for 20 years, and the reason why you're waiting is because you haven't known how to harvest. You sowed a seed 20 years ago that's still a memorial in heaven, but you've forgotten about it, and that seed hasn't borne fruit in this life because you've not learned how to harvest. Come on, are you hearing me? What does he say from the beginning? He said, this shall be for forever, seed time and harvest. And as a prophet, the primary thing that we learn is that God is into seed time and harvest. The prophet has three calls, three calls. One is to anoint kings, establish people in their place of authority, their place of influence, the place of anointing. They're called to anoint kings. The second is to call people back to covenant, to reestablish covenant promises in people and, and speak about the land of promise that it is that God has called us to. And the third thing that a prophet's to do is to call the rain. And the rain falls on seed that has been planted. And so when a prophet comes into a region, he, he, she looks to see, has the seed been planted? Is the seed in the soil? Because if it is, I can call the rain. So you need rain for harvest. But here's, I want to share this with you because God wants to do several things. And I have a picture for you of who God is in this season to you in Micah 4, verse 3 and 4. It says this in Micah 4, 3, 4. He shall judge between many peoples and rebuke strong nations afar off. He's going to judge between many peoples. And rebuke strong nations afar off. Now, I've heard a lot of great messages that talk about we no longer see God as judge. We see him as father. But here's the thing. When your dad is the judge, you're in a really good situation. Come on. If you're in, in a city, listen, you get pulled over, you're speeding. And the officer looks at you and says, I can't mess with you. Your dad's the judge. Come on, are you hearing me? When your dad is the judge, you're a, you, you got a little bit of a benefit that other people don't have. So when you come before the judge, it's not to be found guilty, it's to be acquitted. Come on. It's to be promoted. It's to receive blessing. It's to get back what has been taken from you. 
So he says he's going to rebuke the strong nations afar off, that from his place, from his throne, he's releasing a word that is going to actually influence nations not even present there. So he's got so much command and power. And here's what ends up happening. God is pictured as the judge, and the results of his judgment will be nations turning. But here's what they turn from. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. They beat their swords. Oh, come on, are you hearing me? They, they beat their swords into plowshares and their, their spears into pruning hooks. Now, I love, I, I, I'm around a lot of different camps. There's a lot of different camps, warfare camp, worship camp. Sword camp, spirit camp, you know, word camp, you know, move of the charismatic, you know, all, all these camps, right? And, uh, and God's got God, God's got them all, right? God's got them all. But there's one camp, and you know, the war, the warfare camp, like a sword of, you know, people are running in like Mel Gibson, and and you know they're running, you know, war paint on their face, you know, like, and they got the sword in their hand. And they're doing all, I was in a church, I, they had what looked like a Game of Thrones chair set up in the church foyer, and it was swords, swords that you could pick one and go into worship, and people are, and I'm, I, I mean, and I've been stabbed with flags in worship. So I have a little PTSD when it comes to worship around certain you know, atmospheres. They got flags, you know, and they look, ah, you know, ah. Somebody got poked in their eye with a flag, you know, like, I'm like, oh, get that person out of here, okay? <laughs> but then they want to take it to the next level and bring swords in, and I'm like, uh-uh. My God, we need to get out of here, right? And so they got these swords, and they're, you know, people are unskilled up there. They're waving it around, you know, like it's a rubber thing and then, ah, I'm like I'm waiting for someone's ear just to get lobbed off you know and they're like it's Jesus but he says you're going to beat your swords into plowshares and I want to propose to you that God is upgrading our warfare beyond just fighting beyond just warfare and he's going to turn us from a warfare culture to an agriculture. He wants to move you out of warfare and survival into an agricultural understanding of the kingdom of God where your warfare is planting, sowing, reaping. He wants to bring you into a place of harvest, listen, where you're no longer at odds with everything around you. But people are aligning with you because of the blessing. Come on. Listen, I'm not talking about you don't got enemies. I got enemies. I have enemies. Jesus said, bless your enemies. Didn't say you're not going to have enemies. He said, bless your enemies. You got enemies, right? But turn your enemies to frenemies where they're going to turn their face towards you and say, I, I don't understand you. I don't even like you, but I'm going to bless you. I don't know who you are. I don't like the way you do things, but I'm going to invest in you. 
I'm going to sow into you because you're carrying something that is next level. I don't get it. I don't understand it, but I see the blessing. People that are, are people that, that I'm telling you, they're going to move out of toleration to celebration of what it is that you're carrying. His judgment turns nations from war culture to agriculture. It shifts people from a place of hostility to a place of increase and revival. He wants to bring you into fertility, into a place where you're a fruitful person, that people see the fruit coming off of your life, that wherever you walk, people are like, wow, there's blessing, there's increase in that person. That person has a Midas touch. Come on, are you hearing me? And so here's what it will be. Number two, it will be a time of extreme abundance. Because it says this, that nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. But what will they preoccupy themselves by? They will be preoccupied with this. Everyone shall sit under his vine and under his fig tree. They will not learn war anymore. Oh, come on. The weapons of our war are not carnal. They're not like man. They're mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. Listen, I want to tell you something. Adam and Eve did not know that God had enemies when they were in the garden. I can't find it. I cannot find that Adam and Eve were aware that God had enemies. The only thing that God told them, no, no, was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, a tree that he made. So to them, the enemy had not yet been identified as the enemy. The reason why God did not want to do things the way that he did things with the enemy, he wanted them to be preoccupied with sowing, increase, and harvest. Their warfare was to expand the garden. Come on, are you hearing me? Their warfare was to sow, to reap, and to be abundant because good overcomes evil. They, it's, some say, it, you know, it, I, 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 what is poverty? Poverty, listen, listen, I want to talk to you about this. What is poverty? Poverty. I'm b- bothered by poverty. Not because just I want to end it in my own life. I actually want to see it end in the nations. I want to see it end in your life. I want to see it end. And God brings the poor out of the lowest pit and he, re- he, he releases his riches, the blessing of his increase. It says that when he ascended on high, he gave gifts to men. He gives us gifts that we would be lacking in no gift. And when I, when I look at the gospel, it's that God increased so much he had to share this wealth. He sent his son, Jesus, who is the wealth of God, the abundance of God, the blessing of God, the bread from heaven. He's... He is the manna. And so he, he releases this abundance for us. And if we could think about it like this, poverty 
is not a lack of money. Come on. I want you to understand this. Poverty is not a lack of money. Money is not your problem. Say, money is not my problem. So I want you to, I want you to forget about money for a moment. Because sometimes we think of money as the lack of our problem. That in a lot of warfare is centered around money. Come on, am, am I talking to somebody today? Like 80% of your warfare prayer life is like, God, give me, no, you know, I need a billion dollars, right? Like, Lord, okay, let's just be real. Let's be real. People don't like to talk about this. And you know what? I, 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 get, I get online and people on Facebook, they, you know, I put something out there and their response is, I'm not rich. Like, I can't get that. I can't afford that. I'm not rich. So I'm actually going to come up with an e-course called the I'm Not Rich e-course. It's going to be free. I'm going to give it to everybody. It's going to be a little thing to, 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 to qualify you and disqualify that excuse in your life. The I'm not rich excuse. So I, I want you to repent of the I'm not rich excuse. Because like I said, the prophetic comes and it speaks to you beyond your budget. God doesn't go, oh, that person's a millionaire. They can do what I, it is I called them to. He says, oh, that person's in the dungeon. That's the one I've called to rule the nations. That Joseph, who's been thrown at, betrayed by his brothers, that's the one I'm going to have rule over Egypt and all the nations. Come on, are you hearing me? So this is not a message to make you go out and get more jobs. This is not a message to make you think you got to work harder for more money. I want us to think differently. I want us to think prophetic about the increase. Poverty is not the lack of money. It is the lack of options. It is that you don't have a dream in your heart. You haven't touched the desire in your heart. It's a, it is a lack of awareness of your opportunities. Come on. Listen. How many... I'm, gonna t I'll, I'll, I'm a hungry man. Anybody get hungry at times? I'm a hungry man. Do you know when I realize I have so much in my fridge? It's not when I'm full. When I'm full, I'm like, ah, open the fridge. I'm like, I got nothing. I got nothing. Right? Ugh. Uh. It's when I'm fasting that I have things that I didn't realize. <laughs> it's when I'm hungry that I'm like, I could put peanut butter on that cheesecake, add, sprinkle some potato chips, hallelujah. I've got abundance when I, when I get hungry. And are you hungry? Are you in touch with that desire? The, your desire is hungry. Come on, are you hearing me? So what does he say? He says it's going to be a time of abundance. You're going to sit under your vine. You're no longer going to pre be preoccupied with war or warfare. Warfare, war is not going to be taught like it once was taught. What are we going to learn? We're going to learn how to manage the abundance, not live in the warfare. Come on, sha, boom. That's a good word. Why is that a good word? Because 
You're living in survival when God has called you to live above the survival, above the snake line, no longer managing the crisis, but managing the abundance. Listen, I know how to manage crisis. I've done it well. I've been in a lot of crisis in my life. And you are too. You probably have a college education on crisis. You are, you are university trained in crisis. You, you know how to deal with crisis to grit and bear it, right? You know how to deal with the problem. But can you manage the promise? Come on. This is good. So what does he say? It will be a time of abundance. But here's, what, here's the kicker and here's where. The desire is thwarted often by fear. Fear is the main enemy of your heart. It's no longer, the enemy has been dismantled. I want you to tell you this. The enemy no longer has authority in your life. Jesus dealt with him on the cross. The enemy does not have access. You can, if he does, you can kick him out. You have the authority in Christ to kick him out. What is gained access into your heart? He says, and no one shall make them afraid. Fear is the enemy of desire. Your fear has kept you locked up, hidden, not moving forward, isolated, immobile, crippled. You, how many have had crippling fear on your life? That is why one of the first things that happens that you need to do when, 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 if someone invades your home, the first thing that you need to do is move. Some of the, sometimes you hear that knock in your house that, that something falls you know, off the mantle or something like that. What do you do? You freeze. Don't move. If I don't move, they're going to go away. That's the lie of the enemy. That if you don't move, it will go away. I see a lot of good people not moving. Thinking that their lack of movement is going to make the enemy disappear. You're not moving forward because the enemy has isolated you in fear. He's frozen you in fear. Kept you in the bondage of fear. And so what fear does, it says, I won't move and it will go away. But what happens when you begin to step out? That's why the first thing that I do in my prayer life, I'm a pacer. Is anybody a pacer? I get up. I don't even know if I'm speaking in tongues. I just get in. I just get. You know, I start, I start pacing. Right? And you might not have tongues, but it's okay. Just go, Jesus, hallelujah, amen. Right? You're just pacing. You're getting in this place because it says, in him we live and move and have our being. You've got to step up off of that place that you've been isolated. You've got to get up off of that couch. You've got to get up off of that bed. In the morning when the enemy is trying to tell you, turn the other cheek. Tell that alarm to go away and just go to bed. You've got to get up. You gotta step up. You get in your space and you say, No, this is my space. This is my place. I'm gonna get my blood flowing. Hallelujah. I'm gonna move into the place that God has for me. No longer am I gonna be isolated in fear. That fear's not gonna rob me anymore. I'm going to step out of fear. Now, how does God deal with fear? God deals with fear 
in the secret place. He makes you bold as a lion because perfect love casts out fear. His love starts to invade. You start to see his, his judgment is his goodness. That we're not afraid in judgment. That when we go before the Lord, we are found clean. We're found innocent. That he says, I got promotion for you. I got blessing and increase for you. I can go, you can come before me and every time you approach me. Sometimes we hide in our fear. We get insecure. We, 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 we try to isolate in our fear, even from the Lord. What does Adam do? Adam and Eve, he says, where are you, Adam? Because he was hiding. He says, I realize we're naked. You know, and you might have real reasons to be afraid. You might have something. It's not that the fear is based upon something that's an illusion. Because it, you can see the fact. But faith sees beyond the fact and into the promise. Faith sees beyond what you have right before you. You get a bad report from the doctor. But I want to prophesy over you. That doctor doesn't know your test results. God knows your test results. Because that's what the prophetic is. The prophetic is your test results. The prophetic is the, the results that God has predetermined before, before all of this stuff that you're in. They already were predetermined by God when the prophetic comes and speaks over you and says, I've measured the, the time. I've measured the distance. I've done all of that. But this is the determined outcome. The prophetic prophesies. It, the, the word of the Lord comes. The, the voice of God speaks. And it says to you, you're going to make it. You're going to overcome and you're going to be a freedom fighter. You're going to, be a, you're going to set the captives free. You're going, to, you're going to release those from the prison doors. You're going, to, you're going to unchain them. You're going to open up blind eyes and set the captives free. You're going to unstop deaf ears. This is the test results. And you're in the middle of a problem. You're in the middle of the crisis. They say doing the same thing over and over, expecting different results, is the definition of insanity. It is also the definition of faith. Amen. Elijah, like a man like us, gets up on the mountaintop. He puts his head between his knees. He begins to pray. He sends his servant to go look. He says, what do you see? He says, I see nothing. He goes back up. He does the same thing again. He says, what do you see? He says, I see nothing. He gets back up. He, he says, do it again. He says, I see nothing. And by the seventh time, he said, I see the cloud the size of a man's hand. Now, here's the deal. I'm talking about God's about to bring abundance of rain, and all he sees is a cloud the size of a man's hand. You see the thumbs up emoji in the sky, right? And God's like, I got this. What did you see? He says, I saw the thumbs up emoji. It was a cloud the size of a man's hand. And he says, get home. It's about to pour. That's what I want to prophesy over you today. That get home because it's about to pour. Get home, get to your place. Get to your place of abundance. Get to a place where you're blessed. 
Get to the place where you can be fruitful and be yourself because it is about to pour out on your life. And what does he wait for? He, he doesn't wait. He says, start moving. Start moving. Now, here's, here's what Ahab does. When Elijah prophesies to Ahab, get up. He says, go to your house, and I want you to eat and drink. Come on, are you hearing me? I want you to eat and drink. Now, they're in the middle of the drought. They're in the middle of a blight. Food is scarce. Drink is scarce. They don't have. But he asks him to step out before he sees the revelation and do something that is contrary to the culture that he's living in, contrary to the, to the framework that he's living in because he's living in a split burrito culture. He's living in, I've got to, I've got to divvy up the dollar meal. He's, li- he's living in, there's not enough. He's living in, the, the, all, all I, can, I, I, can't, I can't afford, the, I can't. Everybody is living in that, including Ahab. Because the drought has affected all of their harvest. But what does he say? He says, eat and drink as if the, the rain has fallen. Do something that you wouldn't do or couldn't do before as if you're in the promise. Come on. See, I'm a giver. And sometimes I give according to my need. But there's other times when I give according to my promise. I don't give according to the size of my need. I give according to the size of my promise. I see a promise on the other side. And I go, that's... That's the size of the budget I'm living out of. I'm not living out of the budget I got right now. I'm living according to a different spirit. I have a different heart in me. I'm living according to a different size promise than the size of my problem. And that faith accesses a realm of harvest unlike ever seen before. Come on, there's harvest in this room. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to reach out and touch it. I believe that God is going to be assigning harvest on this house. That you two, I'm, I'm telling you, there's harvesters in this room. And I see a school of harvest that God wants to give you. He wants to teach the harvesters to harvest the things that have been planted from years ago. 10, 15 years ago, where they they planted, they sowed, but they haven't harvested the abundance. And God wants to begin to send out the reapers to reap the things that they planted in times past. Some of the things that you, the vision that you guys have been waiting on, the things that you've been sitting on waiting to see fulfilled, it's because you're going to start to see harvesters identified in this house. It's going to come to pass. And they're, like, like Chronicles tells us this, that, they, that the, from the spoils of war, they were able to build the house. That God wants to build the house from the spoils of war. That as you're warring, warring is no longer with, with a sword, but it is with gold and silver. That, that, that God is going to begin to, to war through you with, with the harvest. Come on, are you hearing me? The reaper is going to overtake him. Who sows seed, the treader of grapes. Listen, I, I believe God wants to begin to release harvest in here. Would you lift your hands that there's harvest in this house? I, I, 
I, I feel it in this, in this room right now. It's an atmosphere of abundance. That the, the realm of abundantly blessed wants to come to you. Come on. You know, Gary, Gary Morgan and I, we were yesterday, we went, we, we were downtown eating, and we, we were like kind of had some time in our hands. And I said, hey, check this out. And don't judge me because wait till the end of the story. But I said, let's go in here. It was a casino. I didn't want to play. I wanted to see. Because people are believing that a number can give them what it is that they're asking for. Number seven or number 11 can give me what I'm asking for. And people are putting thousands and ten thousands of dollars on a number. Come on. Believing in an invisible thing can give to them all of their needs, all of their desire. It struck me, man, how much good, how much better is God? That we don't put something on a number. We're putting something on a living God, a Father who loves us, and He has nothing but good things planned for us to prosper us, to give her a future and a hope. To, to, he's got destiny for you. Come on. I want you to reach out and touch destiny right now. Destiny is for you. Destiny is in this room. Destiny is in this atmosphere. You're going to experience a realm of destiny unlike ever before. There's going to be an awakening of destiny in this room. Different ones in this room are going to begin to experience the harvest in your life. And here's what I want to do. I want to call the rain. I want to call the rain on your seed, the seed that you've been planting. I don't just believe you're going to get a bus. I believe God's going to increase you beyond a bus. And it's not going to be because lasagna is so good. And the lasagna is probably amazing. But I'm telling you, God wants to bless you way beyond the lasagna. Amen. And I'm looking forward to that lasagna. But I believe God is going to bless you in this place. I feel a decree on me that I decree upon you blessing increase. That you would be pressed down, shaken together, and running over. That the harvest would be poured out into your lap. And some of you guys, you've been sowing seed so generously. I'm talking about 10 years ago even. You have seed that you haven't seen harvested. I call those things that are not as though they were. And I, I feel the Holy Spirit on me to, to call those things that are not as though they were. That those things that you sowed are about to come to you, pressed down, shaken together, running over. There's an abundance of resource going to be planted in your life. You're going to see all the sticks and stones that you need, but you're also going to see it overlaid with gold and silver. You're going to see the things that the building elements that God has planned for your life to see those desires come to pass. Now, here's, here's the thing. Your warfare, your warfare is in your planting. Your warfare is in your planting. Your warfare is in your planting. What are you going to plant in this season? 
What are you going to plant in, you, in this season? Some of you guys I see sitting down, planting yourself at a desk and writing a book. Your warfare is in writing that book. Your warfare is in finishing the, the resource, the product that it is that God has set up in your life. Because that resource, like the fruit of Eden, is going to do more for the warfare than it is fighting against the enemy. When God was face to face with the enemy, he didn't fight the enemy. He created Adam and Eve. Because he believed his, 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 his creation was going to do the warfare for him. I want to prophesy to you that your creation is going to do the warfare for you. The things that you are planting, the things that you have established are going to fight the good fight for you. Come on. Some of you in this season, you're called to create business. Create in that sense, whether it's a coffee shop or a, 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 a new medical technology. You're called to create business. And business is the fruit of product. What does he say? By this you will be my disciples that you bear much fruit. That you produce much fruit. What is fruit called? When you go to the supermarket, it's called produce. Come on. Produce. God wants to give you produce from your life. Are you hearing me? You got this on you. Come on, produce from your life. Your produce, it can look like a necklace that, is, that you handcrafted. You know, I go to the store, I go, I go like I go to, to, to some designer store, and I look at it, and I don't, see, I don't see the abundance on it. Some product that is created in that place. But I walk down the streets of Mexico, and I see a man selling wallets, and I pick one up and it's been handcrafted. You could tell when something's made with love. It's not made in a factory. It's made with love. And you could, you could see the value on it. And you begin to understand that this person has put their blood, their sweat, their tears into this. And this product from their life is going to do the warfare for them. It's going to bring supply for the family. I want to unlock that in your life, the value of what it is that you create. Right now, if you've had writer's block in this room, I want you to stand. And I'm not talking just about writing. I'm talking about creating. But you've had an inability to get, to, to, to move, it, to get things done. You started a work. Maybe it's a business. But writer's block hits you. It's a business block. You wanted to, maybe you had a relationship going, and you hit a speed bump, and now you have a relationship block. You, had a, you have different blocks in your life that God wants to remove and reinstill in you creativity to overcome those roadblocks. Would you stand to your feet right now? Because God wants to put a new fire in you. Come on. Right now. Whoa. There is a fire coming on this house of creativity. There's a fire coming on this house that is going to initiate something new in your life, something that has never been seen before. Some of you are going to begin to experience an awakening 
Ideas are coming to you and they're going to flood your imagination. I want you to take every thought captive. Open the doors, Lord. Open the doors, Lord. There it is. More. More. Open the doors.